0: Well, what's going on? All right. Anybody uh, glad that it snowed? Were you glad about that? Anybody glad that it's melting now? Yeah. I don't mind a little snow as long as it's gone by the next day, you know. That's, uh, so I was I was kind of glad about that. Uh, we're going to jump into our uh, series that we started here um, last week in just a minute. So go ahead and turn to Genesis. We're going to be all in Genesis today as we continue to talk about Abraham we're going to start at Genesis chapter 12 and then uh, move on up to chapter 17, so we're going to cover five chapters of the Bible today. Obviously, we're not going to hit on everything that happens in there, but so go ahead and get your finger there in Genesis, get, get your Bibles opened up. Uh, by the way, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, all right, so really easy to find, open it up just like you were going to read it straight through and it's right there at the beginning, Genesis 12. Now, before we do that, uh, let me just uh, mention to you that today is the last day to sign up for life groups, and um, this is one of these things that we've been talking about week after week, and and Donnie continues to make the announcement and and say the the, the tell you the same thing and that kind of thing. But listen, here's the deal: no matter how many times we say it, um, it. You, you can't experience it unless you get in one, and so you might be sitting there saying, yeah, I know Donnie and Cliff say that that's a really good way to connect with people, and it's just something special and all that stuff. Um, until you do it, you really don't know what you're missing out on. And uh, we, since freedom began, which is now going on almost five years uh I've done a life group every time we've done life groups. And a lot of times meeting in my house, a lot of times meeting in somebody else's house. We did one, this is back in the old days, we used to do life groups different. We did one one time at, at Tracy and Paige Burkhalter's house that went on for like two years or whatever. We just met every week, you know, never took a break and that kind of thing. We learned some stuff from that because I realized I didn't want to be in Tracy and Paige's house that often. No, I'm just kidding. Nothing with their house. but um, but we, But we, so we've done it for a long time. And here's the thing. I'm looking out over here now, and I see people that I've got relationships with now that I know a little bit about you, you know a little bit about me. We've got a connection there because at some point we were in a life group together. And we sat down together every week, and we talked about what was going on in our lives. We talked about the study we were doing, and we just got down to business about trying to really do life together. And so uh, if if you haven't signed up, I want to encourage you to do so. In fact, I would encourage you to do that just above uh, just about anything else that's going on here. Um, Be involved in a life group. You will not regret it and if if here's the deal the way we do them now you get in a life group with a bunch of losers or whatever then you don't have to be with those people but just a you know a few weeks all right but um so like if you sign up you know you're in my life group and at the end you're like dude I cannot hear that guy talk on sunday and wednesday night you know whatever then fine don't sign up for my group again sign up for another one but I'm telling you if you do that you you'll find the right fit for you and you'll begin to build relationships and uh, and it's such a good thing so just want to put in that last plug for life groups so I know some of you are sitting here today and you came thinking well we might sign up we might not go ahead sign up today make the you know make the uh, the leap and, and do that kind of thing and if husband or wives if one of you is waiting on the other one um you know just kind of nudge them a little bit and a husband's take the lead in this say to your wife hey i really want to be in this life group and i'd like for you to come with me sweetheart since it is valentine's day and just take them uh, right along by the way, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. If, if you've got a Valentine today, raise your hand. If you've got somebody that you're... Now, if you're single and you'd like one, you just come on up here. <laughs> we'll let you know, but just have a mixer up here on the stage. So, all right, very cool. Well, listen, uh, we're going to we're gonna jump back into what we started last week. And um, last week we started talking about this Heroes uh, series series. And talking about the fact that are um, the guys in the Bible that God did amazing things through, they were just regular folks like us. And we started talking last week about Abraham. And what I told you we were going to do is we're going to spend two weeks on each hero and um, in the first week, we're going to talk about a great strength and something that, that we would want to emulate and, and put into part of our life. And, and for, for Abraham last week, that was his great faith and, and the fact that he would leave everything he left behind his country and <clears throat> excuse me. His country and his culture and his father's house. He left all that stuff behind because God said to. And so that was the, the positive part about, about Abraham's life. And then I told you we're going to spend the second week of each hero talking about something that really makes them more like you and I. Something that where they've done some things and maybe made some mistakes and made some bad choices. And one of the things you'll find if, if you read through the whole Bible is that other than, than Jesus... Everybody in there who God used, they all did some pretty stupid stuff. In fact, some of them did some really bad stuff, you know, like murder and uh, things like that, and God still used them to do great things and so it, it, what I want is through this series is I want you to come away from these messages being encouraged that okay, if God could use a guy that in the Bible that messed up like that to do something amazing, then surely. He can use me to do something in the place that I work or in the neighborhood that I live in or the school that I go to. So we're going to talk today, continue talking about Abraham. So if you've got your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, and you know, what we're going to talk about in Abraham's life today is this. I don't know about you, but it seems like in our culture today that um, being decisive and and just being a go getter, that's really encouraged in, in our culture, isn't it? We, we, we love people that take matters into their own hands. You know, somebody they don't stand back and wait. They go in there and they grab a hold of the situation, they wrestle it to the ground, they beat it into submission, they make it into what they want it to be, right? And we like people like that. And people who tend to be patient and sit back and let me observe and let's figure out what to do, that's frowned upon and we talk about being proactive rather than reactive and, and all that kind of good stuff. And all those things I think are probably good in certain situations, but what we're going to talk about today is we're going to look at a situation in Abraham's life where when we try to be so hands-on, when we try to take what God wants to happen in our life and we try to speed it up and we try to form it into something that would work for us, we're going to see that that things don't exactly work out the way they're supposed to. So start in the book of Genesis, chapter twelve, and I'm going to sit down right here a little bit because I got a lot of scripture to go through, and I, and I want to be sure I don't miss any of it. But Genesis twelve, if you got your Bibles there, we talked about this last week. Genesis twelve two. This is just a little reminder. Remember when when God came to Abraham and He was telling him, "I want you to leave home and all this stuff," and then He gives him this promise. And in twelve two, He said, "This I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you." and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And Remember last week we talked about the fact that that was a great promise. The only problem was, is up to this point, Abraham didn't have any kids. So it was hard for him to be a a nation, hard for him to become this great nation when he hadn't even had the first child. And we know that he hadn't had kids, and we know why he hadn't. If you look back at Genesis 11.30, just look back in the, the the second to last verse of the last chapter, It says this, now Sarah, that was Abraham's wife, who would later, her name would be changed to Sarah, so I'll call her Sarah for the rest of this message. Now Sarah was barren, she had no children. So the reason they didn't have kids yet, Abraham, you know, everything with him was working fine, but for whatever reason, Sarah was unable to have kids, and we know that. And so there they were, God's made this great promise, you're going to be a great nation, you know, all this kind of stuff, but they did not yet have kids. So remember last week we talked about after God makes this promise and after he had told Abraham to leave that he did what God said, he left. Then watch this, as Abraham leaves, God continues to speak to him and make promises to him. Look at Genesis twelve seven. He's already left, he's traveled a ways, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. Who had appeared to him. So, not only now is he promising him that he's going to have kids, he's also promising him there's going to be land for the kids to live on. So, he continues to make these promises to Abraham about how he's going to take care of him and how he's going to give him kids. And then look at, over to Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 16. God continues to promise Abraham children. He says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south. East and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Now check this out. Now look at verse sixteen. Now God even increases the uh, the promise a little bit. He says, "I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring." could be counted. Now, up to this point, God's promised him, look, you're going to become a great nation. But that, you know, that's not really specific as far as how many people. Now, God says to him, you're going to have so many descendants, kids, grandkids, -grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids that it's going to be so much they're going to cover the earth. Every part of the earth is going to have them on it. They're going to be like the dust of the earth. You cannot even count how many descendants you're going to have. And so, Abraham continues to get these promises from God over and over and over again. Now, I want you to, to see what's going to happen next in the story because here is where Abraham becomes really uh, familiar to us. He begins to act a lot like we do in these situations. And the first thing that we see where Abraham is a lot like us is that frustration sets in. Frustration sets in for Abraham. Go to Genesis 15.1. Now, before I read that, you need to know that it's been a long time now since the first promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. God made that promise in Genesis 12. He was still living in Ur, and, uh, and then he continues to make the promise again in Genesis 12. He makes the promise again in Genesis 13. And now by the time it gets to Genesis 15, it's been several, several years. We don't know exactly how long it's been, but it's been probably 10 or more years since God first told him, by the way, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And so look what happens in Genesis 15, 1. God comes to Abraham again, and he begins to make him another promise. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. Now what you need to know why this promise is important, you need to know what just happened in Genesis 14. See in Genesis 14 there was this whole situation where where Abraham's uh, nephew Lot had gotten himself in some trouble and, and so Abraham had to go rescue him and there was a battle, there was a war where Abraham had to get together an army and they actually had a battle and it was one of the, the first battles recorded in Scripture. And so they had this, this war and, 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 uh, and Abraham's army conquers the army that, that he was fighting and he rescues Lot. And then this king comes to Abraham and he says to him, listen, I want to give you some money because he was trying to kind of keep Abraham happy, I guess, because now he was a, afraid of him because he just won this battle. And he said, I want to give you anything you want of mine you can have. And Abraham says to him, I don't want anything you've got." because i don't ever want you to be able to say that you made me rich, and so he did, he turned down all this money from this king, and so right after that, God comes to him and he says to him, "Listen, Abraham, I am going to be your shield, and I'm going to be your great reward and because what he was saying there was, "Look, just like I protected you in that last battle, I was your shield in that last battle, I will continue to be your shield and You don't have to worry about the fact that you turned down all that money and all that gold and all that stuff from that king because I'm going to be your reward. I'm going to be everything you need. Now, isn't that a great promise that God made to Abraham? I mean, if if somebody came to me and said, listen, the rest of your life, I'm going to take care of your financial needs and no one's ever going to be able to attack you again because I'm going to be your shield, I would love that promise. So you would think Abraham's going to respond to that with, yes, God, thank you so much. Watch how Abraham responds. And this is where we can see that Abraham was really beginning to get frustrated. Look what happens in verse 2 and 3 of of 15. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now has this ever, how many, if you're married, has this ever happened to you before? Where maybe you've got like some great news and you come in and you think you're going to share that and there's going to be like celebrations in the household and all that kind of stuff. And instead you get some kind of reaction that you didn't expect. Like, you know, you know, ladies ladies that, that work outside the home, maybe, maybe if you ever come home and, and you, you've won some prize at work and you come home to your husband and you say, Hey, guess what? I want a free weekend at the beach for Valentine's Day. And your husband responds by saying, Oh, what does that matter since the kids are five years away from graduating? We don't have any money to pay for their college and my salary got cut this year. You know, it'd be like, where, where did that come from, right? And I, that, that's probably what God was thinking when he goes to Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to be your shield and your reward. And Abraham responds by saying, you haven't given me any kids yet, right? It, it's it's And what it is is that Abraham was frustrated. He had gotten frustrated with the fact that, that God had not yet given him a child. And so Abraham was pretty much saying to God, Listen, I know you tell me you're going to be my shield. I know you tell me you're going to be my reward. But until you make good on that first promise you made me a long time ago, I don't really want to hear any more of your promises. You told me a long time ago I was going to have a kid, and I still don't have a kid. So save this stuff about the shield and the reward until I have a baby. He was frustrated, he was so frustrated with God at that point that he couldn't even accept this great new promise that God was giving him. And here's the cool thing, I want you to notice this now. Now when you think about Old Testament God, what do you think about generally? right, Old Testament God, you can say, you can answer out loud. Old Testament God, if somebody responds to God the way Abraham did, what would Old Testament God do in your mind? What do you think he would do? Yeah, he would smote thee, wouldn't he? And that would, you know, he would just say, fine, I'll make it. Well, you'll never have babies. You'll whack. But, uh, right, that's, that's what we always think about when we think about Old Testament God, right? Check out what God says to Abraham, his response in verse 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. See, the Old Testament God is not just a God of justice and a God of kicking people down and all that kind of stuff. He's a God of mercy. And God went to him and said, listen, Abraham, you're frustrated, but just be patient. You're going to have a son. And he's going to come from your own body. And he he reminds them again, look up at the star. I told you before, your offspring, your descendants would be like the dust of the earth. Well, it's also going to be like the stars in the sky. In other words, you're going to have so many, you can't count them all. And so he responds to him with mercy instead of of with justice. And so he he gives Abraham this promise. Now listen, I want you to focus on one thing because what happens next in the story, I think, is really important based on what God just said to him. Look back there at verse 4 again. When he says to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now hold on to that idea because I think that's really important for what happens next in the story. So the second thing, so after frustration sets in, what happens next? Well, then Abraham kicks down the door. Abraham kicks down the door. Now not literally. There's not a literal door he kicks down. But you know how many of you ever heard the saying or said, Well, you know, God keeps opening doors. You know, God opened this door and we went through it. We're going to keep moving forward till God closes the door. And then there's that saying, you know, that I don't really understand. Well, sometimes when God closes a door, he opens a window. Which I don't really get that because who climbs in windows except like thieves and stuff. But but so we got all these door sayings. And so Abraham, God keeps telling him all this stuff, and then and then Abraham's kind of getting frustrated. Now Abraham's gonna kick down the door and what happens is look at verse at uh, genesis 16 and look at what happens here next genesis 16 verses 1 and 2 sarah and abraham decide okay we don't have a kid yet we're going to be proactive in this situation we're going to stop sitting back and allowing life to happen to us we're going to grab life by the horns and we're going to take care of this situation we're going to be proactive and look at what their plan was now sarah abraham's wife had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar which is very unfortunate that her name was Hagar since that is the name of a Viking all right actually it wasn't at that time but named Hagar so she said to Abraham the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my maidservant perhaps I can build a family through her now, when we read this in 2010, that sounds like the craziest thing that's ever happened. Men, has your wife ever come to you and say, hey, you know, I know things aren't going well. How about you sleep with this lady right here instead? No, it's never going to. It hasn't ever happened, and it's never going to happen, right? And so you're thinking, what in the world? And I do think it's interesting that it was Sarah who had the plan, not Abraham. It was Sarah's idea. It was Sarah's plan. She brought it to Abraham. And I I think, and perhaps Sarah was was, uh, tired of Abraham being frustrated, and so she's going to be the good wife, I'm going to take care of this. Maybe she felt guilty because we know from the Scripture she was the one that was unable to have the child, and and she so badly wanted to do that for her husband that she would be willing to do this. But the other thing we need to understand is that that I want you to to know, and this is going to get us off track for a minute, but I'm getting off track on purpose because I think this is important, is that you need to understand that, the, the idea of sexual relations between a man and a woman from the time of the Garden of Eden to the time of Abraham that they had already gotten all messed up. See, in the, in the Garden of Eden when God created the earth, sexual relations, the way God set it up, there was to be one man, there was to be one woman, the two of you were supposed to, to be bonded together through marriage and that would be where sex would happen and that would be for the rest of your life. But since that time, you know if you've read the Old Testament, Since that time, people had all kind of wives, they slept with their servants, they did all kind of crazy stuff. But here's what you need to understand. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament, did God ever say it was okay for a man to have a bunch of wives. Nowhere in the Bible did God ever say it was okay for somebody to sleep with their servants. That was never uh, intended by God, and it was never approved by God. It was what started to happen in the culture. Now, this is what gets us off track a minute, but I want I want to just be sure that you understand this. So, when Abraham and Sarah when Sarah came to Abraham and said, "Listen, why don't you sleep with my servant, and that'll be the way we'll have a baby." It seems crazy to us, but to Abraham it probably wasn't that weird. He probably had some other friends of his that had done the same thing. And to Sarah, it wasn't that weird of an idea either. But even though it didn't seem that strange to them because it was accepted in that culture, that doesn't mean it was right. And As far as sexual relations go today in 2010, what's going on in our culture, what you see on TV, what you hear about in the news, what kind of laws they're trying to get passed, all this kind of stuff dealing with sexual relationships with human beings, just because it's going on and just because it's accepted in culture doesn't make it right. Because God has never changed his plan and his plan was for one man and one woman to have sex in the context of marriage for the rest of their lives and that's it. And it's never changed then, and it's not going to change now, and it's never going to change because that was God's plan. So that gets us a little bit off track, but I just want you to understand that when Sarah came to Abraham with this idea, it seems crazy to us, it probably wasn't that weird to them because it was more accepted in the culture of that day. So she comes to Abraham and she says, hey, why don't don't we do this? You know, you go sleep with her and we'll build a family through her. And and then the the rest of verse 2, it says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So they said, all right, let's do this thing. Let's go on. Let's go ahead with this. Now, remember, remember what the last promise God made to Abraham was? He said that you will have a child coming from your own body. Has he mentioned Sarah yet in this plan at all, God? No. So I really believe that, I, I mean, I don't know everything that, well, I, I can probably imagine some of what was going on through Abraham's mind, but, but I, you know, I, I imagine that probably part of what he was thinking, too, was he might have been thinking, well, is this, is this right? Is this what God wants? And then he thought to himself, well, wait a minute, God said there was going to be a child coming from my own body, but he hasn't said anything about Sarah being the mother of that child yet, so, hey, maybe this is the way it's supposed to work. And so, I really believe that when they went ahead with this plan, and he decided, okay, I'm going to go sleep with Hagar and, uh, and, and she's going to get pregnant. We're going to have a baby that way. I really believe that they thought, both, Abraham and Sarah both thought, hey, what we're doing is we're just kind of pushing ahead. We're kind of helping God along with this plan and we're going to make this thing happen. And then what happens next, and I'm not going to read all of the, the scripture to you, but what happens next in verse 3, it says that after he had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maid servant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, I think that's interesting because even in those days, it was understood that you're supposed to have sexual relationships inside a marriage. So, we're just going to, y'all are just going to get married and then you can do this and it'll be all cool. And then it says, verse 4 He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, watch, what, watch how things begin to denigrate and start to get really messed up. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So this great plan that they had, everything's good, you go have sex with Hagar, she'll get pregnant, we'll have a baby, it'll all be cool. As soon as Hagar began, be, uh, conceived and was pregnant with this baby boy, she began to have feelings of hatred in her heart towards Sarah. And so what happens next? Sarah goes to Abraham and says, this is all your fault. Which I'm sure Abraham was saying, hey, I'm not the one! You told me, hey, come on and get it on with this woman right here, you know. What's the matter? Where did this become my fault? So she comes to him and says, this is all your fault. She's mad at me because of you and what you've done. And so you know what Abraham does being the man of the house? He totally wimps out, right? He says, not my problem. She's your servant. Do what you want. I don't care. And so she goes and she starts to treat Hagar so bad and starts to, to be so cruel to her that Hagar leaves the house. And gets out of there because of what's going on. So you had this plan that in their minds, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to take this plan and we're going to work it all the way through, and we're going to make God's will happen. We're going to make a baby show up, even though God it's not in His timing yet. We're going to make this happen, and all of a sudden it starts to get get spiraling out of control and getting all messed up, and and. and Innocent people begin to get hurt. Now, I'm not going to get way far off on this, but just so that something that's interesting, the baby they had was named Ishmael. The baby that Abraham would later have with Sarah was named Isaac. And to this day, the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac are in war with one another. And it goes all the way back to this, to, God, to Abraham getting way out ahead of God's timing. See, when God calls us to do something, when God's made a promise to us, the timing of it is extremely important. It's not just enough to do the right thing, but it's, it needs to be done at the right time. And in this case, it wasn't even the right thing. See, maybe there's times when you think, okay, God wants me to do this, and, and, or, or God's promised me something and it's not happening. So we start figuring out a way that we can speed it up and I got to take care of this and I got to handle this situation. And we start trying to put everything together where God's saying, hey, just, just hold up. Just be patient. There's a lot I want you to learn between now and here. And if, if you get too far ahead of me, you're not going to know what I want you to know by the time you get there. And with this situation... This is one of those times where God had only given part of the information. Do you remember last week when we talked about this? I told you that God's the one that controls the information coming out. I mean, we think we, we can get all the information we need now because we've got the internet, right? But when it comes to dealing with God and dealing with, with spiritual things, he controls how much information we get and when we get it. And he had only given Abraham part of the information. See, he started off by saying, you're going to have a kid. And then the next part of the information he gave him was, oh, you're going to have A lot of descendants. They're going to be all over the place. And then the next part of the information he gives them was, this kid's going to come from your own body. But before he could get to the last part of the information, which was, by the way, Sarah's going to be the mother of this kid, Abraham and Sarah jumped in between those two things, and they tried to handle it themselves. And it totally messed up the plan of God. So what happens next? Well, the last thing that we can learn that that we need to remember over and over and over again is that God will fulfill His promises when He's ready. God will fulfill His promises when He's ready. Abraham was 86 years old when he had his first child, when Ishmael was born. Then, go ahead, 13 years. He's 99 now. Ishmael's 13 years old, doesn't have any brothers or sisters. And when he's 99 years old, God shows up again to once again talk to Abraham and tell him what's going to happen next. Look at Genesis 17, 1 and 2. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So once again, now Abraham, remember, Abraham's thinking he's taking care of the whole baby thing. We've done it. We're, done, we're good now. And then God comes in and says, hey, by the way, I'm going to greatly increase your numbers. You're going to have lots of grandkids, and it's going to continue on. And then Abraham, God begins to tell Abraham some other stuff we're not going to get into, like about circumcision, which I'm sure Abraham was like, are you sure about that, God? And then, you know, and then then he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and he changes Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And so he's, he's confirming once again this covenant that he's made. And then watch as we walk through here what happens next. Look at verses 15 and 16. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Now, this is the first time Sarah has come into the plan. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. See, God is now, after all these years, He's revealing the true plan to Abraham. Yeah, You had your own plan, Abraham, but now I'm going to tell you what the true plan is, which we could have gotten to this point if you hadn't jumped in there and gotten in the way. It would have happened anyway, but this is what's supposed to happen. So you're going to have a baby and Sarah's going to be the mother of that baby. And then look at verse 17 and 18, how Abraham reacts. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, Now this is amazing to me, because God now, He's he's, he's talking about the whole plan that's going to happen, and Abraham's still holding on to what he did, and the plan he tried to put in motion, because he says, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. All right, I know you're going to give me another son, God, that's cool, but I've already handled this whole son thing, remember? Me and Hagar, we had a baby, caused some family problems, but it's done now. Just let him be blessed. Let him be the one. Let him be the child of the promise. But God had another plan altogether. And I think it's interesting that God's plan is going to be the one that's going to bring God more glory. What would bring God more glory than a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man having a baby? I mean, if you came in here today and said, hey, my great-grandparents are expecting, you know, (laughs) I would know that's a divine, something's going on, right? And so, this, this was one of those things where God said, listen, if you wait on my timing, and if you do it when I, when I say to do it, I'm going to be sure that I get all the glory for it. Because Abraham's plan, he got some of that glory. I'm sure his buddies are patting him on the back. Hey, way to go, man. I'm going to try to talk my wife into making that same deal with me, you know. But this way, God's going to get all the glory. Because 100-year-old men and 90-year-old women don't have babies. And so it was all part of God's plan so that he would get all of the glory if Abraham had just been patient. And then look what God says in verse 19. Now remember, Abraham had said, just if Ishmael could be blessed. And then God says, yes. Now remember, Ishmael, God, because Ishmael's innocent in this whole thing. It's not his fault that his mom and daddy did stuff they weren't supposed to do. And so God blessed Ishmael, and Ishmael has lots of descendants. To this day, Ishmael has lots of descendants, and that's because God put his blessing on Ishmael a long, long time ago. And then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And I love the fact, you know what Isaac means? Isaac means laughter, It means he laughs. Because when God said, hey, you're going to have a baby, Abraham laughed. And so God said, all right, just name him Laughter. That'll be cool. And I love that name because of that. And so all this stuff happened. All this stuff went on. And Abraham tried to get way out in front of what God wanted. And here's the thing about it. You see, it was 24 years earlier when God told Abraham he was going to have a baby the first time. 24 years. Now, in your life, if you're like me, if you know something's supposed to happen, Maybe God's promised you it's supposed to happen. You've read about it in Scripture and you've been praying about it and you know that's the way it's supposed to be. Do you want to wait 24 years? But the thing we have to learn is that God's going to give us His blessings in His time. God's going to keep His promises in His time. He always keeps His promises. But it might not happen when we want it to. Instead of taking 24 hours like we want it to take, It might take 24 years, like he did with Abraham. But the thing about it is, is that no matter how much we think we can make a plan and how much we think we can push things ahead, we can't make it happen any faster or more effectively than God can. And in fact, when we get in the way and we try to push it to where we want it to hurry up and happen, things begin to get messed up, like it happened in Abraham's family with his and Sarah's relationship after this whole deal with Hagar. Now, as we finish up, I want you to go back to Genesis 17.1. Because when, when God appeared to Abraham to tell him about Isaac this last time, he gave Abraham a command in Genesis 17.1 that I think we need to hold on to because I think it's, it's really the key to this whole thing about knowing God's will and knowing the timing of God's will. And look at Genesis 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. See, so we want to try to control our lives. If you're like me, you like to be in control of your own life at least I mean sometimes I like to be in control of other people's lives too but I really like to be in control of my own life and I like to you know have everything planned out and know when it's going to happen and do it the way I want to do it and I don't want to wait on things and maybe you're like that and we try to control things we think we got to we got to I got to get in that situation. Oh, somebody said something here, so I got to get in there and I got to make that right and I got to go over here and I got to go to this person, try to make that right and I got to control this situation and control that situation. And what does God say we're supposed to do? He says, "Only thing we're required to do is to walk before him." Is to daily just walk with him. Luke 9:23, Jesus said the same thing. Luke 9, 23, he said, If any man would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. See, all the way back in the Old Testament with Abraham, it was about following God, not getting out ahead of God. In the New Testament, when Jesus came, it was about following Jesus, not getting out ahead of him. And it's about that today. Following. That should take some of the pressure off of us. It should help us to understand, you know what, we don't have to control everything. We don't have to make sure everything works out exactly the way we want it to work out, because we can't anyway. The only thing we're required to do is to follow, is to follow him. And you know, the other part of the story that is interesting, as I read through, and I've just been reading through Abraham's story the last couple weeks, every day, and You know how Abraham knew what God wanted him to do so much? You know how he always knew that there was this promise to come about this baby? It's because he kept having conversations with God. Do You notice in there, over and over again, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, this is going to happen. Then God talks to Abraham again and says, this is going to happen. You know why that was happening? It's because Abraham daily was having conversation with God. And if we want to know how to follow him, we want to know where we're supposed to go next, we need to be daily having that conversation with him, figuring out where it is, what's next, what's the next step, and don't get out ahead of him. See, we can't do everything. Now, there's a lot of stuff he wants us to do, but he only wants us to do the things he wants us to do when he wants us to do them. So I want you to bow your heads. maybe you are in a situation where you're waiting on a promise to be fulfilled maybe you're pretty frustrated right now maybe you just can't really hear God or maybe you would say yeah I know what God wants me to do and I've been really pushing to try to make it happen and I need to be more patient whatever's going on in your life I just want you to know that God loves you and that he will keep his promises and we just need to be patient and follow him. So let me pray for us, and then the band's going to come, and we're going to sing a closing song, a celebration to get out of here. But let me pray for you. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you keep your promises. And Lord, thank you that you kept your promise to Abraham. And Lord, forgive me and forgive us when we try to Get in the way of what you're doing. When we try to control life, we try to control our relationships. And Lord, just allow us to follow you. And that can be scary because we don't always know where that's leading us. But God, we can rest in the fact that we know that you're only going to lead us somewhere that's for our best and that's for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray in the lives of each person that's here this morning that you would be glorified this week, that they would follow you. If that following you means giving their lives to you for the first time if that following you means sharing the gospel somebody at their work that following you means beginning a new relationship or ending a bad relationship or selling a house or buying a house or whatever it means lord i pray that they would know your will they would know it based on scripture and based on talking to you and they would follow you no matter what and we ask these things in jesus name amen